are in the middle of looking at the whole Bible. We're doing a series called Best Story Ever, which is an overview of all the scripture. We're taking 15 stories from the Old Testament and about that many from the New Testament to give you the Bible at 30,000 feet. And uh, what I thought we could do tonight is, at, at this point, we've been in this for a little while, and I thought it'd be good just to step back and sort of review a little bit of what the big story is so far. And uh, what I have over here is something that uh, perhaps Neri and I has seen before. Do you guys remember these things? An overhead projector. Uh, the last time I saw one of these, or, you know, other than tonight um, and being in this church, I think the last time I saw one of these was probably like middle school, maybe? So, and that was a long time ago for me. So uh, what I thought we could do tonight, this is like sort of an audience participation activity here. Um, I wanted to sort of invite us to throw out like what are some of the topics that we've looked at in the past couple of weeks and then I'm going to be our scribe here, write them down up on the screen where we can all see them. Uh, so just, you know, shout them out. What have we, what have we covered so far? The fall. The fall? Okay. Okay, I'll put that one on there. I'm going to stand on this side here because <laughs> I'm right-handed. Can you guys see that? Is that... Uh... Okay. Oh, great. So we talked about the fall. Okay, so the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. Abram, okay, so the call of Abraham. Keep them coming. What was that? Creation. Creation. Yeah, okay. You can't have uh, these other things without creation first. Moses. Moses. Okay, yeah. Uh, so Exodus, we could call that. So when the Israelites are uh, in Egypt and then Moses is sent by God to be their rescuer and rescues them out of Egypt. Yeah, okay, so the, the giving of the law at Mount Sinai. Okay. There's at least two more. Yeah, okay, so this was, uh, this was last week, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. So uh, when they send out the, the 12 spies when they're in the wilderness, and then as a result, they have to remain in the wilderness for 40 years. Okay. And then there's one more. Uh, yeah, that was a kind of part of the exodus there. Yeah, right. Okay. So that was when Dustin Polly was here and, uh, we'll call that one atonement. So, you know, you find out in, uh, Mount Sinai, that they get a law, and then you find out a little later they can't keep it. <laughs> they make a golden calf, and things kind of go south from there. So there's a book in the Bible called Leviticus, and the Leviticus is all about, well, what do you do in response to sin? You know, how is God going to deal with the problem of their sin? So, okay, um, oh, this is a little crooked here. Let me see if I can, there we go, okay. Okay, so uh, now, here, so we got all seven. The problem is they're out of order, so um, I'm going to see if we can add some, some numbering here. So which one was first? Creation. Okay. And then what's next? The fall. Okay. The call. Okay. Exodus. Sinai. Atonement. Wilderness. Okay. So, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're not actually written in order, but now they're in order. 
Okay, so, so there, there's a, oops, this is kind of a little tricky here. So, so there, there are all the different sort of, call, call them chapters, if you will. The different chapters or milestones that we've looked at in um, God's big picture. And uh, we have one more little component here of this review. I feel like I'm a school teacher. Like, you know, this is like, you know, class and teacher and review. And sorry, yeah, I'm sure that's the very last thing you guys want to think about tonight. Uh, but but here, here's, here's, here's the last thing just to tie all these things together. And this actually, um, this, this requires a brave volunteer. I don't know if anyone's feeling brave tonight. But uh, what I want to invite someone who's feeling brave to do, uh, you see all these seven things, to have someone say, see if they can tell sort of a, the story so far, kind of like almost in narrative form, and to mention each of these seven things. So for example, you know, if you were just to take the first two, creation and fall, you say, well, okay, so uh, at the beginning, God creates the world, and it's a good world, but then Adam and Eve fall into sin, and all these other things happen. So, you know, just, you can tell I'm kind of mentioning each of those, but uh, sort of telling it in the form of a story. Is there anyone who's feeling bold and brave who wants to summarize the story of the Bible so far? And we'll, we'll kind of like be your, we'll be your helpers. We'll be sure that if you forget one, we'll, we'll help you out. Anyone want to give it a stab? You guys take a stab at it tonight? I know there's someone. Oh, Bo. Yeah, okay. Uh, here, come, come, up, come up to the front. And let me... Uh, give, give Bo a hand, everybody. This, this, is, this is pioneering pioneering work that he's, he's doing right now. Okay, so here's the microphone. Okay. And just give us, give us a summary. Okay. Big story. And I can use the cheat sheet, right? Oh, <laughs> okay. All right. So, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And... He did so not because he was in need of anything, but because he wanted to, because it is his nature to show his love and to be, and to show communion to other people. He made a perf that world he made was perfect and gay and created man and women in his own image. And he blessed them, he gave them everything they could need and no one except the Son of God has known such perfect unity and love with the Father. But man chose to make himself God and therefore became alienated from God and forfeited the great loving union he had with the Father. But God, being rich in mercy, was not willing and in accordance to his plan, not willing to allow man's forsaking of his love to throat his love. So he showed to mankind, he gave to them a promise, a promise that one day a descendant would come and though Satan would bruise his heel, this descendant would kill the serpent. And this is, of course, Jesus, who reconciles us back to God. After the fall, let's see, we got one, two, three, okay. Was the call of Abraham uh, seemingly obscure person from the Middle East, but God called him, and Abraham followed God mostly 
without hesitation. And that is one of his greatest attributes, is that he trusted and followed God It did not in indignation question him. And he, and because of Abraham's faithfulness, God gave, God promised him that all the nations would be blessed through him and that Abraham's sons and daughters would make up a nation and that through them the world would be blessed. Eventually, Abraham's descendants did multiply like the stars and were in Egypt. However, they had become oppressed. But God, faithful to his promises and unchanging, provided a way that his people might be saved from their tribulation and did so in a way that not only saved them from their tribulation, but in a way that magnified his own name by bringing on the plagues on Egypt and demonstrating to Pharaoh and to the Israelites and to the people of Egypt that he is the only one true God. Once God delivered them from Egypt in the miraculous way that he did with the plagues and with the parting of the sea, God appeared to Moses on Sinai and instructed him in the way that the Israelites were to conduct themselves. And it was also there that God gave to them the Ten Commandments, both that they might try to be acceptable to God, but also that they would have order and love and peace among each other. And also to demonstrate that no one is able to live up to God's standards. After this, there was the apostasy of the Israelites at Sinai when they worshiped the golden calf, or I think it was Addison, I think it was. He said they worshiped the holy cow. Oh, that was a good joke. <laughs> the holy cow kind of ruined everything there. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then, so after this uh, was the wilderness. And Michael, you might need to help me here. That in the they they were in the wilderness because they had sinned against God with the golden calf, or simply because they weren't there yet to the promised land. Any the spies? Are we at the spies at this point? Okay, all right. That's why I just got a little confused on the timeline there. Okay, so uh, in the so eventually the Israelites came to the promised land and sent spies into. Canaan to investigate the land. However, most of the spies said that the land was full of giants and that the Israelites would be defeated and destroyed and it would be better to go back to Egypt, except for two spies which were faithful to God and which God would reward them in time. Because of the unfaithfulness of God's people, God said that that entire generation would die off and the people of Israelites would wander in the wilderness for 40 years. And after that time, and then, oh, that's, that takes us where we are now. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that was amazingly thorough. And uh, I think spoken without hardly an ah or an um. Man, Bo, well done. Um, thank you for that. And, and one of the reasons that I wanted us just tonight to start by looking back is that 
one of the things that's just so special about looking at the big story, God's big picture, is that you see the heart of God in a, in a way that I think you normally wouldn't or that you might miss. Because you know, one of the things that you look at when you look at the, you know, just where we've gotten so far, you know, so God creates a, a world that's good, humans fall by rebelling against God. God redeems through calling a man named Abraham, and then Abraham's descendants he redeems out of Egypt, and then uh, adopts them as his own. He, he makes them his special possession and gives them the law so they can know what holiness is, and makes a provision for their sin, and then even when they sin against him again with the incident with the spies, he's still faithful to them. You know, you just, if you look at even just what we've covered so far, what do, what do you see? You see a God whose character is just, you know, maybe you could say he's a complex character. I mean, who else could bring together mercy and justice in the way that the God of the Bible does? And what we're going to look at tonight builds off of where we are, uh, where, where we've come so far. Um, and, you know, if, if you look at these seven different chapters, you know, there's some ups and downs. Sometimes God's people obey him. Sometimes they trust him. Other times they completely rebel, disbelieve, reject him. And this story represents one of the high points. Um, tonight we're going to look at the story of Israel's conquest of the promised land. This is in Joshua chapter 6. And if you remember uh, back to when God calls Abraham... There are three major things that are contained in the promise that God gives Abraham. Blessing, land, and a seed. Blessing, land, and a seed. And that word seed, that's just like a Bible word, referring to a special descendant, a descendant of Abraham that you find out in the New Testament is not other than Jesus. So for the past 500 years, Israel, they've had, you know, plenty of descendants. You know, they're on the way to seeing that special descendant come into the world. And in some ways, God has blessed them. You know, he's delivered them out of Egypt. Um, he's blessed them by multiplying them. You know, they're a really big nation now. But for the past 500 years of the story, Israel hasn't had a land. They've been slaves. <laughs> and most recently, they've been wanderers in the, in the, in the middle of the desert. And so now at last, in Joshua chapter, well, the whole book of Joshua, really, you finally get to see this aspect of God's word uh, fulfilled through God giving them a home, through him bringing them into the promised land. And so uh, since, since my job is to kind of just set up this passage for you guys to study, uh, just if you wanted to kind of summarize what happens in this passage, this is uh, a story where Israel has crossed into the promised land. And if you go back and you read uh, Joshua chapter, uh, chapter 3, chapter 4, you find out about how that happens. They cross into the Jordan, uh, into the promised land, <clears throat> and they come to um, the city of Jericho. Now, the city of Jericho was a walled fortress you know, I think um, some of you guys, if you guys live in Gig Harbor, do you guys know that gigantic new Tacoma screw building that's right by the freeway? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? When I saw that thing going up, I, I just, in my head, every time I drive past it, I, I would just call it Jericho because I just, when I see it, it, just, it looks like I imagine Jericho would have looked, you know, just this massive, huge, you know, concrete building. And so Jericho is this huge city, these, you know, big fortress, all these walls. And... The people who are living in the land at that time are not just a bunch of random people that God, you know, just had some sort of bone again, bone, bone with and wanted to uh, get rid of. But if you go back to the book of Genesis, you find out that for 400 years, God has been wooing these people and, and, and giving them opportunity to repent and return to him. 
And so it's not as though all of a sudden Israel and their conquest of the land is something random. Um, you know, God works with every single nation in a way that's perfectly merciful and just. He does that with the Israelites. He does that with the United States. And he does that with the nations in this land. So when you come to the book of Joshua, um, this is following 400 years of the mercy and patience of God, giving them opportunity to repent. Um, and yet, you know, at, at the end of that time, uh, they have not. And so God is using Israel as an instrument of his judgment in this story. And from the Israelites' point of view, this is like kind of their initiation into the promised land. They go to war. And you know, if you imagine just for a minute that, that you are one of the Israelites, um, you know, imagine that for the last 40 years, you've been living in the wilderness. Because as we found out last time, uh, they've been kind of in time out for the last 40 years, wandering around in the desert. Just think what a big deal it would be um, to be part of the generation that actually steps foot in the land for the first time. I mean, that's actually one of the things I want to just flag up about this passage. Just something to think about as you're studying it tonight. Number one, don't underestimate your youth. Don't underestimate your youth. Now, this might seem like a funny thing to pull out of this passage, but the reason I say this is that if you remember back to Numbers, which we looked at last week, all of the, the older Israelites say, oh, God, you know, we can't conquer those nations. They're going to destroy us, and then our children are going to, you know, they're going to be captured, and they're going to be killed. And God says, actually, it's going to be your children that come into the promised land. Think about this, like this, you know, if, if, uh, if you were a part of this generation in Joshua chapter 6, that meant that you would have been probably a teenager at the time of the Exodus, and you would have gone through the Red Sea, so you would have seen that, you know, that experience, but then you also would have lived all through those 40 years of discipline in the wilderness. And now, you know, you're probably like, what, 55, you know, your 50s, 60s at the time, you know, that they're marching into this land. And the reason I say don't, don't you know, underestimate your youth is that we oftentimes think, I would say, that you know, people who are young adults, people who are our age, are the church of tomorrow. Whereas I want to encourage you guys, like we have the privilege of being the church of today. And if you look down through the history of the church, God has so often used people who are in young adulthood. To, to, to make an impact in his kingdom. And so the generation, uh, sort of the, the who of this chapter, is this generation that, you know, they're, they're like younger than we are when they come out of Egypt. They've lived through um, all this time. It's actually the, the, the younger generation that inherits the promise. Uh, so that's a detail you can notice tonight. Uh, another thing to notice tonight Notice the way that in this chapter it demonstrates one of the ways that God uh, deals with his people even today, which is to say that training comes before reigning. Training comes before reigning. So one of the things that the Bible tells us is that if you're a believer in Jesus, that one day all of those who are believers will reign together with Christ. When Christ comes back, then He'll have a kingdom, and he'll share that with us. We'll get, to, we'll get to rule and reign with Christ. It's a pretty phenomenal promise. And now you see the Israelites getting to come, and they get to inherit their own land. And in a sense, they get to kind of experience their reigning day, so to speak. 
But that only comes after 40 years of training in the wilderness. What do they learn? You know, how does God train them in the wilderness? Well, he teaches them his provision. You know, for 40 years, they have had everything that they need and nothing more. He's provided them with manna every single day. It says, I believe, in the book of Deuteronomy that, all, you know, all this time your clothes didn't wear out, your sandals didn't wear out. You know, they, you know that's, you know, not possible. That's miraculous that you could have the same pair of Birkenstocks for 40 years and still have them be in good shape. You know, so God has preserved them all through this time. And I want you to know God can do unbelievable things in the lives of every single person in this room. But very, very often, that's going to be preceded by a time of training and testing. You know, I, very often, I think sometimes, like, before things begin to feel really, really awesome, they can oftentimes feel very, very awful. And, you know, sort of the common wisdom in our culture today is that if you are kind of in this age group, you know, the thing you do is you spend your 20s just kind of having fun and partying and just not really having as many cares. And, you know, you've got to learn how to do some adulting, but, you know, just, you know, do as little of that as you can. Focus on you. Focus on yourself. Have as much fun as you can. And, you know, just avoid responsibility as long as you can. I just want to tell you, that's just a bunch of nonsense. That's, that's not what ultimately is going to fulfill you and satisfy you. The thing that can fulfill you and satisfy you is knowing Jesus, serving Jesus. And so if you take this time, if you take like your 20s, and you know, maybe we have a few people who are younger than that, if you take, you know, just whatever age you're at in this room and you say, I want to devote that time to getting to know God better. Like, I'm not going to make my 20s about me. I'm going to make my 20s about him. Um, just a quick anecdote. One of the coolest, most amazing things that God did in my life when I was like, I think, yeah, when I was 20, actually, was he began... To, to show me more of himself through the word of God. Um, I remember I was in college. I had a, a professor who taught uh, a class I had to take. And it was a class on the New Testament. And, I, you know, I don't remember all the exact things that this professor taught us, but what I remember was him. And he had a love for the word of God that I just never, I don't think I'd ever seen something quite like that before. It left such an impact on me that I, I just developed this hunger to go deeper. And so I remember going home that summer, and I, I think I read through the whole Old Testament, maybe even the whole Bible. And I got back to school, and, you know, uh, the next year I'd always, you know, I'd be walking to and from classes, and all my friends would kind of, you know, I think they'd kind of sometimes tease me because I'd always be holding a Bible. I'd just be kind of, you know, head down reading the Bible on the way to class. Because I just, God was working in my life, and he was, you know, showing me more of himself through his word. I just want to tell you, like, one of the best ways that you can use your 20s, one of the best ways that you can press into God's training of you in preparation for your reigning with him, get to know scripture and know it well. Base your life on it, build your life on it, obey it, heed it, get to know it. That's number two. And then a couple more things to notice tonight. <clears throat> Number three, uh, so huh, you can say the first one, you know, the, the, the one we just did, training and reigning. Well, call this one water and walls. You're probably wondering, what on earth are you talking about? <laughs> water and walls. So if you go back a couple chapters, they cross through the Jordan River. And it's kind of like the Red Sea part two. You know, remember the Red Sea, like God parts the Red Sea. It's this big miracle. If you've seen the, raise your hand if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt. Anyone, anyone? Ah. Oh. 
great movie. You know, if you remember the last part of that movie, it's just like, you know, the best of 1990s special effects, you know, when the, you know, the <laughs> big parting of the Red Sea. So this kind of happens again. Like God miraculously parts the Jordan River. They all go through. And then they come to the big fortress of Jericho. They come to the walls of the city. Now, back in that day, a lot of the, the pagan peoples of the world thought that, you know, there were a lot of different gods, and each god was kind of the god of one thing in particular. So there was the god of the mountain, or the god of the ocean, or the god of the storm, or the god of the river, maybe. And so if you are one of the pagan people, or maybe even if you're one of the Israelites, you might have been thinking, you know, is, is our God, you know, we know that he's the water God, you know, because look what he did to that river. So he's like the God of the water, but is he the God of the wall? You know, like, is he able to conquer not just the water, but is he able to conquer the wall? Here, here's kind of, I think, how we oftentimes think if you're a Christian tonight. I think sometimes if you're a Christian tonight, what we sometimes do is we say, like, I have seen God move in my friend's life. So I know that God is my friend's God, but I'm not sure that he's my God. Or like, I've seen him move in my parents' life, but I'm not sure that I really trust him to move in my life. Or, you know, here's another one. Sometimes you hear about things that God has done, like hundreds of years ago. You know, so like back in the, I think it was the 1700s, there was this thing called the First Great Awakening. And there were these guys, John Wesley, Charles Wesley, George Whitfield. These guys were revivalists. And they would travel all over, you know, the United States and the United Kingdom. And they would, it wasn't the United Kingdom, it was England back then. And they would preach the word of God. There were all of these people who came to faith. It was a revival. And sometimes, like, we can hear about those stories and say, well, I know that God was the God of the 1700s, but do I really believe he's the God of 2022? See what I mean? So here are the Israelites. They might be thinking, well, I know he's God of the water, but is he God of the wall? Can he really take down the city of Jericho? And I just want to challenge you tonight. You know, you might have seen God work in other people's lives. You might have seen him work in other periods of time, but do you believe that he can work in your life? That's number three. And then just two more here. <clears throat> uh, another thing to notice tonight is not just, you know, okay, who are the people who march around Jericho? Uh, uh, but, but how do they do it? How do they do it? When you re read the story, you find out that God is going to give the Israelites some really bizarre instructions. Um, you know, like if you uh, have ever heard of, there's this famous, I think he's a Chinese military strategist who wrote the famous book, The Art of War. Uh, now, I've never read The Art of War, but I can guarantee you tonight that if you read this famous book on warfare, you know what it's not going to tell you? It's not going to tell you that the way to conquer a city is to march around it a whole bunch of times and to blow a bunch of trumpets and then to shout and expect the walls to fall down flat. That is what God tells the Israelites to do. So the, it doesn't make any sense. The only reason that they would ever do it is if they actually know this God enough to trust that, well, <laughs> if he said it, we better do it. So this then brings up something that is relevant to us as believers today, which is sort of the, the, the choice that we face between living out of faith versus living out of the flesh. Living out of faith versus living out of the flesh. Uh, the flesh is kind of just a bible -y way of saying, 
us relying on ourselves, um, relying on what fits into our own understanding, what we can do in our own strength, or you know, acting out of our own desires for things rather than saying, Lord, I want to have my desires be your desires. And so the Israelites here in this chapter are faced with the question, are they going to walk in faith or are they going to walk by the flesh? Are they going to do what makes sense in their heads or are they going to do what, may, what God has told them to do? Uh, and there's some questions tonight that hopefully will get us kind of wrestling with, okay, what does that look like in our own lives? And then one last one. So, so far uh, we talked about, um, what was the first one? Uh, don't underestimate your youth, number one. Number two, training and reigning. Number three, water and walls. Number four, faith and flesh. And then last of all, number five, Jesus and Joshua. Jesus and Joshua. So who is Joshua? There's this whole book that's named after this guy, Joshua. Joshua, you probably know, he's the successor to Moses. And Joshua leads Israel into the promised land. He's their commander. He's the one who's, you know, leading the charge against all of these enemy peoples. Now, here's the thing. You might read this chapter tonight, and it might, you know, really be amazing to see the way that, you know, the Israelites walk in faith, and they conquer the city, and, and you see God move and work, and then you look at your own life, and you say, man, like, I would love to have that kind of faith, you know? Like, I really want to be kind of like one of these Israelites, but you just, you know, for whatever reason might think, you know, man... I just don't know that I have that kind of faith. I, I really struggle to actually see, uh, to, to believe that God can move in and through me. And the good news of the gospel that I want to preach tonight as we come to a close is that it's not about you and your faith. It's about the greater Joshua, Jesus, and his faithfulness. Jesus is the one who has led us into the promised land of salvation. The promised land, if you look at uh, that, that theme throughout scripture, it's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of the fullness of the promises of God that he's given us. And if you try to, to live out of, uh, you know, if you try to earn love so that you can earn the promises of God rather than walking out your identity from the love of God that God's already given you, well then you're, you're, you're you're, you're going to be crushed. You're going to be uh, totally overwhelmed by the, the weight that that puts on your shoulders. The good news of Jesus being our greater Joshua is that we don't have to fight for a victory. We actually get to fight from a victory. Because on the cross, Jesus paid it all. He did all that was required to get us the rights to the promised land of all of his promises. And so that victory has already been secured in the, the name and through the blood of Jesus. And so what he invites us to is simply to, to step into what he's already accomplished for us. We don't have to fight for a victory. We fight from a victory. And that's good news. So um, let me go ahead and uh, dismiss us into small groups here. And just.